Hello and welcome back to The Scriptures Are Real. We're picking back up with our study yesterday from Exodus 2, or excuse me, the book of Exodus. We started off uh, Exodus 1 yesterday and we uh, also finished up Genesis 50, but now we're going to jump into chapter 2 and see how far we can get today uh, and see if we can follow along with the Come Follow Me reading. So, you ready for this, Carrie? I'm always excited for Exodus. <laughs> so yesterday when we were talking, we just got into the beginning of Exodus where we learn about Egypt and, and now in the span of some period of time, we don't know what, it could be as much as 400 years or so, we think maybe. We've, um, Joseph is, uh, is now dead and uh, we have now see the children of Israel have progressed. They've grown strong in the land and now we're a different king or a different set of kings have come in who are not really in favor of the children of Israel. They don't really like them very much. That's what yeah. chapter one was about, right? Yeah. And so they've enslaved them. So they've enslaved them. Not a nice thing. So uh, what's going to happen here is the Lord has a plan, right? Yeah. And, and I think uh, that chapter, chapter two picks up right where chapter one left off with this theme of deliverance that we were talking about. So if you, uh, what we talked about last time is that in, in chapter one, you see uh, immediately after they were enslaved that God uh, is does small forms of deliverance before the big deliverance, right? But the, And right. so deliverance is one of the huge themes of the book of Exodus, which makes good sense. It's about delivering the children of Israel. But you see the, these midwives delivering, and we did a play on words, but anyway, they're delivering these children that are supposed to die. And right. then chapter two starts with the same thing, where now the, the uh, king has kind of circumvented the midwives and is making sure that, that uh, male children are being killed. And so you have a specific um, Levite family where the mother has decided, not my child. Right? So right. I assume that Aaron, the older brother, uh, was born either before this decree or when the midwives were saving these babies. Uh, and so uh, it, now she's faced with this with this new child. And this child's going to be delivered and he's delivered in a couple of ways, right? She decides no. And she's, she kind of uh, hides him for three months. I can't even imagine what that must be like. Like, Oh, please don't cry. Please, please don't cry. Right. Don't, don't do right. anything to draw attention. Um, and she figures out she's not going to do that. I have to assume that she's inspired because I'll just tell you that my first thought when I think of, okay, we've got to hide a child or find a way to preserve his life is not let's put him in a basket and put him in the river. Right? That's, <laughs> that's not the first thing you think of. Yeah. No, no, it, it, it's not, uh, it's a little counterintuitive to me, but she must be inspired in this and she very well may uh, kind of know, okay, well we get Pharaoh's daughter that comes and bathes in this area uh, because uh, I mean, it works out that way. And she has her, her daughter, Moses's sister, Miriam watching. And uh, so maybe they it kind of knew this all along, but she hides them in it. what it says is the flags that are these, these bulrushes that uh, grow all along the Nile. And that's what that seems to yeah, be. Verse, so. verse three, we're talking about here and put the child there. And she makes a, a, a basket. A, she, they call it an ark. Makes yeah. an ark of bulrushes, but it's a basket basically. And daubed it yeah. with slime. So some sort of sealant on the outside and puts, and she puts it in by the flags, by the river. That's what you're talking about. Those. Yeah. This some kind of reed and or, reeds. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And then his uh, uh, sister watches him and uh, the daughter of Pharaoh comes down to, to wash herself and uh, she opens it 
and she has compassion on the child. Uh, even, she recognizes that he's a Hebrew, but she has compassion on him. So again, this theme of deliverance, like this baby should have died at birth, uh, but they've hidden him. Now they put him in the river and who finds him? An Egyptian who should kill him. But instead, this Egyptian wants to save him. And it's an Egyptian that has the power to save him. Yeah, this uh, and, is a daughter of Pharaoh, right? And he, Pharaoh had a lot of daughters. I'm trying to remember how many. Well, it depends on who this is. Um, it's quite likely Seti the first. Uh, we don't know that for sure. And uh, we don't know exactly how many daughters he had, but he had several wives and lots of daughters. Uh, so um, but one of the one of the Pharaoh's court or king's court. Right. Yeah. So is out there. So she goes. And presumably yes. someone who has enough tug on his heart that she can get away with this whole thing. Right, right. Like, probably hadn't been able to have children of her own or something along those lines. And and everyone says, okay, well, then this is, is your deal. Um, I don't know. We're, we're reading into that, but that, that would make some kind of sense. Well, it has to be something. There, for some reason, this Egyptian person who should have killed off the Hebrews or was interested or involved in that or his, her family was, yeah, doesn't, doesn't for some reason kill Moses, which is good to know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, really, he's, he's delivered. He's saved. Although he's not named yet. He's not named. He's just a child. So Moses is going to come out of that. So, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So go ahead. Well, and, and uh, it's, it's interesting that, I mean, she's going to take care of him and raise him almost as he were her own. It doesn't seem like it's a hidden that he's Hebrew. Uh, you know, I love that element. I, I love the Moses movies and I think that they're all worth watching. Well, I don't know, but I haven't seen all of them, but the ones I've seen are worth watching friends of Egypt, 10 commandments, uh, partially because I hope that they make the story more real to you. Mm -hmm. and uh, that they force you back into the scriptures. Like when anytime I watch them, I'm like, oh, I need to go. Is that yeah, read that again or not? Yeah. And, 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 and know what's in the scriptures and what's not and what we're, we're making up to make the storyline work and so on. And, and they've uh, helped me to think of things that I wouldn't have thought of without it. So I think that's great. But one of the things I think is probably unlikely, it doesn't seem like it's a surprise um, that he's a Hebrew. I think Moses probably knows. In fact, I would guess uh, note in verse seven that uh, his sister, so Miriam, we, we learn her name later, but um, she goes to Pharaoh's daughter and says, hey, should I get one of the Hebrew women that she can come and, and nurse the child for you? Now, I mean, no one here is an idiot. I, I think she probably <laughs> can guess. Huh. Wonder why that girl's watching. Yeah, it's probably the mom, right? I don't know. But but yeah, anyway, I wondered that myself and I didn't want to say that, but we don't know if the person that he went to go nurse the child was the child's actual mother. I don't know. It's interesting to think about. I mean, she's in the proximity area, right? Yeah. So, yeah. And well, and it's his sister that's doing it. I can't imagine that it's anyone else, right? This is his sister that's been sent by his mother to watch him. And right. she offers for someone to nurse where she happens to know that her mother is currently lactating because she was nursing Moses this morning. So <laughs> uh, th this can work. Right. Yeah, and and so I, I'm, I'm fairly convinced that that's who it would be. Um, the typical, and, and so she's going to nurse and, and basically take care of the child. I mean, she'll primarily raise the child, um, until, uh, he's weaned and, uh, in Egypt, that, that's typically going to be around the age of three, especially for children in the Royal harem. Uh, right. we have, uh, wet nurses. That's not uncommon. The, the mothers often didn't nurse. They ha had someone else that was, uh, would nurse the child called a wet nurse as well. That's what we call them. And, um, uh, so that's quite likely what's happening. And so I would guess that like by the age of three, like I've got a grandson that's two and a half right now. 
uh, and and he's been taught plenty of religious things, right? And who he is and so on. Right. I guess is you know you don't know how much they remember later, but he's probably had some kind of foundation in who he really is. Uh, would be my guess. Now I'm just making that up, but uh, I I would guess that. But at the same time, he's being raised in in Pharaoh's court. So at this time, there's a practice. Pharaoh has what what is we call a harem. This it's a, a place built for his wives and his family. Um, and they can be pretty big, lots and lots of family. Yeah, lots of people. There. But it, there was also a practice of bringing in um, children of other ro- uh, royalty from other countries and raising them in Pharaoh's court. So they would end up being a friend to Egypt and they could go back home and uh, kind of be an ambassador in, for both countries and, and so mm-hmm. on, right? And so it's not uncommon to have uh, foreign children being raised in, in these situations. So uh, it wouldn't have been crazy for Moses to have been there. Uh, I mean, we don't really know what it was like, but but he could have fit in and, and so on. So sure. uh, that's my guess is that he's getting, a, at least when he's really young, some Israelite uh, teaching, but he's also getting this kind of uh, Pharaoh tutelage kind of thing that would be happening in the harem. Um, and, and that's really about all we know about his youth, other than that he's given the name Moses. Yeah, and, and talk a little bit about Moses. The, the name Moses is interesting itself. Yeah, and it's hard to know what to do with it. I've seen, uh, we may often try to do more with it than we can. So in Hebrew, the word is Moshe. Um, and yet we often uh, play with it in the way it's translated into English and the way Egyptian names are translated into English. So the Egyptian word mess, uh, it means child or to be born. Um, and so you've, you've got um, uh, Ramesses, born of Ra basically, right? Or and it's got that yeah. m- Moses at the end, uh, or Messus, right? Because the, the co- vowels aren't as important as the consonants that are important in, in Semitic languages, and Egyptian is partially Semitic. So uh, that you've got that Messus in there that is like Moses, right? Um, and I've heard people make the argument, oh, well, you know, Ramses is born of Ra, Moses is born of no one. Uh, maybe, I don't know, because what we have is Moses's name in Hebrew, Moshe, and I don't know exactly what it would be in Egyptian. Would that be mess, messes? I, I don't know. That if so, I mean, there's some. It's not the fully expected uh, transliteration uh, because they both have sh sounds and they both have s sounds. So uh, I'm not sure that it would come across as uh, mess or messes or uh, or not because all I have is Moshe. I don't know what the Egyptian woman called him. Uh, but it's possible that it has something to do. I mean, it makes sense. It, it would, the message would make sense in the story. She's saying, I drew him out of the water, meaning like he's been born out of the water now. So it makes sense. She would name him like the born, right? Or uh, right. something along those lines. So if you look I, in verse, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Or I was just going to say it to me, it, it, it works, but I don't know how convinced of it I should be. Uh, exactly. Again, you don't want to make too much out of what we don't know. But even if you look in the LDS scriptures, if you look at the footnote B, yeah. On verse 10, it says in Egyptian, it means to beget a child and in Hebrew to draw out. And we do also know that Hebrew is somewhat of a um, poetic language, at least the way the writers did it. They like plays yeah. on words. They like, oh, yeah. I wouldn't call them puns necessarily, but they they like, well, play on words. They like yeah. to play on words and they like to get double meanings in there, you know. Yep. And, and so, so they, did the Egyptians. They both yeah, loved right, that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, so it very fun. well could be. Um, it, it could be that that's the meaning of it, but it's hard to know. Right. 
So it means either beget a child or draw out or something, but it has or, to do with maybe, her, yeah, yeah, or may or po- yeah, possibly, yeah. but pulling out of the water, drawing out of the water. Anyway, but we have yeah. a we have a young man whose name is Moses now, and what we're going to see is that you're, you're talking about these little deliverances. This this is the same thing when you see in almost all of our uh, uh, deliverance stories is you have to have someone who's willing to lead. So you got to got to have some training for this person. Yeah, and we talk about you know Moses being the principal author for these books. Well, why is he? Well, because he was trained. He had a good amount of years in Pharaoh's court. He had access to the best, you know, uh, literary training that there was at the time. And he's very literate and, and knowledgeable. And later, that's going to play a big part in preserving these scriptures. Yeah, yeah. And I think I think it is to me. I mean, it's just the teeniest couple little clues, but I think we do have a couple little clues that he really is fully participating in in the court and in the the responsibilities of the harem. So the one little clue I'm thinking of is that later we learn, and uh, this is much later, but uh, Aaron and Miriam are mad at Moses because he has a Nubian wife, right? So besides the the daughter of Jethro that he marries, Sephora that he Mm -hmm. marries later, he has a Nubian wife, which I assume happened earlier. Now, Nubia, south of Egypt, that's actually for the Egyptians, that's kind of the more important direction to be making uh, peace and having political relations more important than than to their north going to the, the south for them uh, is is important to go to Nubia. And so this seems to me like there's a decent chance that this was a political alliance marriage uh, that Moses, as part of uh, the harem, uh, married uh, a, a daughter or niece of someone who was important in uh, Nubia so that they could have that stronger political alliance. And, and so, I mean, I'm reading into that, but I don't know where else he would have gotten a Nubian wife. Uh, so he certainly must have been before he went up to, to uh, the Midianites, because I don't think there are a whole lot of Nubians there. And then why would he marry? You know, uh, so uh, I think it's beforehand. And so it suggests that he's fully participating in Pharaoh's court. And so I, I think you're right. That would mean then all sorts of training and everything else that would be part of being of the royal family. Right. So we have a, a, a young man, at least up to verse 10, because verse 10 to 11, we're going to have a, a jump in time. Yeah. We learn about Moses and then we go right into, uh, you know, a big event that happens in verse 11 here. Yeah. And it's one of the so weirdest I, events. Uh, it is. It is weird. I remember being on a mission and um, a teacher brought this out. And I, if I had, if I had studied this in seminary, I don't remember. But I was like, wait, what the huh? Yeah. What? It's, it's not usually what we think of as the first thing you learn that a prophet did. Right. And a big prophet. I mean, this is a pivotal prophet that's yeah. going to be responsible for shaping our understanding of yeah. biblical events beginning to end. Moses and Abraham are like the two greatest pivotal figures yeah. in, in uh, Israelite history, right? So right, right. Uh, David will come close. Isaiah is pretty up there, but but really no one is like Moses and Abraham. And the first story you learn about him, him doing something, right? So things have been done to him so far in the story. This right. is the first thing he does. And he, he comes out and he's looking on the burdens and he spies an Egyptian. Uh, verse 11 here. Yeah, we're, we're in, in verse 11. 11. Thank you. Yeah. Chapter two, mm-hmm. verse 11. And he spies an Egyptian smiting in Hebrew, one of his brethren. And he looked this way and that way. And when he saw that there was no man, he slew the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. Now, he doesn't doesn't say why why he's looking this way and that way why he's slaying him and so I'd say let's do this uh, uh, let's suspend our judgment on that and look at what else the text tells us about Moses and see if we can learn anything that might allow us to go back and impute motives to him. 
All right. So okay. let's look at the things we know that Moses does before he um, it, it, it marries uh, Zipporah and is ordained to the priesthood and is on his way to becoming a prophet so that we can kind of learn about his character. All right. So the first thing we learn is he looks this way and that way and he kills an Egyptian. The second day he goes out and he behold, behold, two men of the Hebrews strove together. And he said to him that did the wrong, wherefore smitest thou thy fellow? So here's the, the next thing we've learned. And here we learn some motive and something of Moses's character. He sees something that's being done wrong and he wants to set it right. Okay. Mm -hmm. that's, so we've learned that about him. Um, and that's when he learns that, that they say, well, who made you a prince and a judge? Are you going to kill me like you killed the Egyptian? And Moses says, oh, secrets out. Right. And then right. Pharaoh hears it and Moses uh, flees. Now we're going to get the third thing that we learn about Moses. And there are really only three things we learn about him before he is introduced to this family that will ordain him to the priesthood and so on. So we get to, he, he flees and he comes up to Midianites and there's seven daughters and they're drying water and the shepherds came and drove them away. Right. So, well, let's say they're, they're drying water troughs to feed their father's flocks and other shepherds are coming, driving away the, the flocks of these daughters. But Moses stood up and helped them and watered their flock. So the next thing we know that he did is helping someone who was being wronged. So the only things we know about Moses before he is well on his way to this prophethood moment, right, is he, he looks this way and that way and kills someone. We don't know why. The next time he looks and he sees that there's a problem and he tries to fix the problem. He tries to right the wrong. And the Mediate, next time, yeah. yeah, the next time he sees something happening wrong and he tries to right the wrong. So just based on that, I'm going to assume that that's, that's one of Moses's primary characteristics. This is a guy who sticks up for the oppressed. When he sees something that's going wrong, he's going to try and write it. And he sees that. I, I'm going to assume then. Now, let's be clear. I'd like to assume good things about Moses. But still, all the evidence I have, which is not very much evidence, but all the evidence right. I have points toward that most likely that first occasion is also him looking this way to that way and saying, is someone going to do something about this? I guess not. I guess I'll do something about it. Uh, so that's that's uh, reading into the text, but with uh, all the evidence that we have available to us reading into the text, right? Right. Now, if you go to the, um, the Disney animated Prince of Egypt, they kind of gentrified a little bit. He's trying to say, stop it. And they kind of pushes the guy and the guy falls off the scaffolding. Yeah. It's a, more of an accident. Yeah, and what it could know, be that way. Who knows? It, it could be. What, what, the thing is, is what we don't know. And this is a broader point that I'd like to make for when we judge anybody in the past. A lot of times we look in the scriptures, uh, all the way from Old Testament, all the way to, to our own church history. And we look at that and we're like, he did what? That's not right. You, you know, and by our own modern sensibilities, we feel like we have a, the ability to judge somebody. But we don't have all the facts. We don't have all the knowledge. We're just going to have to trust that God picks who he picks for a reason. They may not be 100% correct all the time, yeah. but there's, they're there for a reason. It doesn't take away from him being a great prophet. So I, it seems like from what you're saying here that he, you're right. Moses is on the right side. He's trying to do the right thing. Why he slew the Egyptian and buried him in the sand, which indicates kind of a shallow grave. Okay. I don't know why that happened. It happened. Yeah. But um, but I'm going to let God sort that out. I yeah. don't know how to judge Moses. I know that he becomes a great thing. So let's give a little modicum of, uh, of grace to the, the, the prophets that we see ancient and modern. If there's something we don't understand, let's not just toss them out and just like, oh, can't read the Bible anymore. There's that. Yeah. 
I agree. And and one of the things that we underestimate, this gets back to some of your C's that you've suggested that we yeah, should uh, right. be familiar with. We underestimate um, how violent these cultures were. They lived a much more violent life than we oh, are. Yeah. Uh, and and I mean, I'm not saying that anyone lives today. There are plenty of places in Africa. Certainly today you could go to Ukraine, but d- different places where violence is a very regular part of life, both violence in obtaining your food, but just violence in terms of you're afraid who might walk down your street one day and what they'll oh, yeah. do to you. Uh, we live in a highly, highly sanitized life with much less violence than they had. So it's it's very possible that uh, it, it, when you're in that kind of violent world where people are killing each other more than we are accustomed to, mm-hmm. uh, and I say not all of we, but some of we, um, that uh, Moses tries to stop someone from who is about to kill someone else or do something to him. He tries to stop it. And this person's so upset at him that they, a fight ensues and Moses in defending himself kills this person, right? I mean, who yeah. knows how this goes down? You're 100% right. Even in 150 years in our own nation, we're talking about the America here, uh, the USA, 150 years ago, if you were on the, the, the frontier west, it was a yeah. lot different situation. Oh, you yeah. know, if you're living in an agrarian society where you're raising animals, it's a hard life. And it's, it's not like we think about today. We think that we sit on a really lofty position to judge history. Yeah. And even in my, from, my, from here to my mom's generation, there's a lot yeah. of difference. Um, I won't go into all the things, but I, I'm a big history, a, a big fan of, uh, of the history of World War II, not the, the, the war itself, but the history of it. And you, you know that even the, the look of the people has changed. The, the directors have gone back in Hollywood. And when they did the casting for Saving Private Ryan, they had to select people who looked like the people of the 40s. The people, our faces mm. have changed. The, the mm-hmm. faces and the way that we look and that we act has changed enough in 70, 80 years that they, we look different than the people in the forties. Yeah. So uh, yeah, I don't want to go right. too far in that, but, but we have such a lot of the people that are in our generation now have no idea how really tough the world is uh, without all these layers of civ- uh, civilization between us. It's a really violent world out there. If, yeah. you know, if we're left to our own devices. And so anyway, I agree. Uh, I mean, I mean, you're you're broadcasting from Arizona, right? And, and you're right. You right. go 150 years ago in Arizona. It's it's uh, there's a it's whole, lot of violence going on. So. Oh, yeah, there's yeah. well, 150 years ago. I mean, we're it's a, it's there's there's not even the United States isn't here. You know, no, I mean, no. it's this really the, the Wild States. West. It's, yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 And, yeah. and then you, you have conflict between Mexico and Indians and Indians and other people. I mean, there's all sorts of conflict going on. Right. And and oh, yeah. Uh, Anyway, so we don't need to get into that except for to yeah, say we, we, we live anyway. in a sanitized world. So Exactly. Sanitized is a great word to use. Okay, good. Okay, right. so that happens there. And so now he's going to, Moses is going to have to, uh, he hears the, 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 the king has heard, the pharaoh has heard. And so now he's like, uh-oh, I'm in trouble now. Now what yeah. happens? Yeah, and, and he takes off and, and goes up to the Midianites and, and befriends them when he's sticking up for these daughters, right? And and comes to uh, the tent of Reuel, who... Uh, will also be called Jethro. I guess he has more than one name, or maybe Moses doesn't really know his father-in-law's name. I don't know, but I'm just joking on that. But anyway. Um, so, <laughs> no, wait, yeah, yeah. By the way, how old do you think Moses is about this time? Well, that's a great question. So tradition is that he's 40 years by the time this happens, and then there's right. 40 years um, uh, in uh, getting in back to them. Yeah, with Jethro right. and getting back to the Israelites, and then 40 years with the Israelites. 
Right. Now, again, that's pretty suspect because 40 means a long time. And when you get three sets of 40, that's 120, which we've already talked about as a highly symbolic number. Right. So it's we talked a, about that yesterday. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a little tidy. Um, now, can the Lord make things happen in a way that really that it's realistic? That's exactly how long it was. And it has symbolism with it. Yeah, he sure can. Very possible. But uh, it, it w- it, would it be something that these writers would feel themselves being dishonest to just say, okay, it was a long time and it was a long time. It was a long time. And that comes up to a nice number. So let's just say 40, 40, 40. And they would not, it would be a little bit like, I do not feel dishonest when I say to my kids, I've told you a hundred times, not do that. Because right, exactly. I've probably told them 150. So I feel <laughs> good well, all right, maybe not, but you, you know, it, 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 I know what you mean. There is something that is conveyed when we say a hundred or when we say, I'll be there in just a minute. No one right. actually thinks you mean a minute. It is a phrase that we understand to mean something. And so 40 and 120 are similar phrases for them. I thought about that yesterday too. I thought of the, the term ripe old age. They live to a ripe old age. And yeah. 120 years, the Hebrews is, they live to a ripe old age. He lived 120. It's the yeah. same kind of thing. But anyway, let's not get, we talked about that yesterday. Uh, but just for, just for the listeners here, I just kind of want to break this up. So we think that he spent about 40 years Give or take, I don't know the exact word, but a good, a good long time in Pharaoh's court. So he, yeah. he was well established. He's, he's not a young man. He's, he's well established. He's a, a learned yeah. person. Yeah, he's it, got it, all the training. It's that, at least until he's not thirteen, fifteen, something like that, right? Exactly. He's, he's an, an adult. adult. Yeah, he's an adult. And then he, he flees when he's an adult, and he spends another good long time uh, up at the Midianites, up in the the priest of Midian, or excuse me, the land of Midian. He spends time up there. Is it exactly forty years or not? We're, we're not sure. But still, let's say 40 years, he spends a good time in there, and that's before the Exodus. And then, again, we're going to see the Exodus. That's another good long time that they wander in the desert, which they say yeah. 40 years in the desert-ish. Okay, so yeah. anyway, I just wanted to kind of make that distinction. Okay, very. that's a, that's a great idea. Now, of course, he, uh, he falls in love here uh, with Zipporah, and Jethro, or Ruel's um, daughter, and he marries her and uh, is living there and having a, a wonderful life. And we learn, you know, from uh, the Doctrine and Covenants that he's ordained a high priest by Jethro. Um, so I don't know exactly what his religious ideas or views were in Egypt. I, 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 as I said, I assume he was taught something about Jehovah by his mother. But if someone is taught something and by the time they're three, they're not taught that anymore. Uh, I don't know how well it sticks. Uh, certainly, in a, a royal court in Egypt, he's going to be introduced to lots of gods and lots of different rituals. Um, but uh, it doesn't talk about a conversion here. But uh, in any case, he at least if he's going to be ordained a high priest by Jethro, he's become, uh, if he was not already, he has become someone who fully turns to uh, Jehovah and worships Jehovah. Well, yeah, right. The God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. We don't know if, how he learned that if he knew it from his Hebrew nursemaid, mother, or whatever, yeah. if he learned about it from there, or if he gets it from here, but we do know if he's going to be, like you said, if he's going to be ordained a high priest, he's, he, he at least at this point knows about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the mother or the yeah. God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Right. Okay. Yeah. So now um, we, we hear that uh, the Pharaoh who had told all the Israelites you know, that they should or to kill the children or he'd said that they should kill all the male children. He dies. And, uh, and it's interesting. So he dies, but you get in. So we're in verse 23 of chapter two and the children of Israel sighed by reason of the bondage. So 
does that mean that the bondage increased when he died? It certainly doesn't seem to say it's letting up. So I don't know. But anyway, and they cried and their cry came up unto God by reason of the bondage. Now, these next two verses are, are really um, significant verses. And we, we have to recognize that they're saying symbolic. It's not like God had been deaf before this. Uh, this is saying something about the timing of God, but also about the motivations. Verse 24, and God heard their groaning and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac and with Jacob. Now that doesn't mean he'd totally forgotten about it before. He told <laughs> right. Abraham, it's going to be 400 years, but that time is coming. It's up now, right? So this is when he's saying, okay, I think another way we could read this is, and the time for God to fulfill that covenant had come. Okay. So then we get Excuse verse 25, me. and God looked upon the children of Israel and God had respect unto them. In other words, they've been crying for a long time. No one knows why. Uh, well, we do know. He said that uh, the Canaanites weren't ready for destruction yet, but they don't know, I assume, why he's not listening to them. Uh, and so uh, they, they keep crying, but the time has come. And that's, that's something that's worth stopping and thinking about, the timing of God and, and respecting and understanding and appreciating the timing of God. Maybe I can just share a, a story that happened to me that, that helped me understand and appreciate this. Uh, I can remember my, uh, when my oldest son uh, was about two years old um, and he got really, really sick for quite a while, really sick. And he was throwing up a, a lot. And in fact, we ended up having to uh, take him into the hospital and get an IV in him because he was uh, so dehydrated. But before we took him in, we were trying to avoid that situation, right? And I can remember one day when he was so sick um, and he was uh, laying on, we had a little hide a bed I was laying on with him. I was in graduate school and, you know, two-year-olds can talk a bit, but not a ton. So uh, he was, or he's about to right around there. So he couldn't yet fully verbalize, but he could verbalize a number of things. And I can remember laying with him for about two hours while he just kept saying, water, daddy, water water daddy wet just again and again and again and it was so hard to not give him water but what i knew is that his stomach was so upset at that point that if i gave him water he was going to throw up again and he'd be more dehydrated dehydrated more yeah. yeah um and so i had a long time sitting there hating this scenario just holding him and having him ask me for that and not giving it to him it, i had a long time to think and i thought i wonder how many times i've done this to god because my son could tell he needed water. He was absolutely right. He needed water. No doubt he needed it. But I knew better than he did. I understood. Yeah, you need water, but not right now. It's actually not going to work out well for you if I give you this water right now. And I thought, I wonder how many times I've asked myself, why isn't God listening? I need this. And God is sitting there saying, I know you need it, but not right now. This is not the right time for you. And, and uh, I, I suspect that the Israelites went through that a little bit. God, why aren't you listening to us? We are in bondage. We're your chosen people and we're in bondage. And God was saying, not right now. And then eventually the time came and God had respect unto his people. He honored the covenant. We can know he's going to honor the covenant and we have to trust that he knows better than us and that he will be faithful in honoring that covenant when it's the right time. I think that's perfect. That's a, and that's a beautiful thing. I, I find myself doing this often when I, I hear myself saying something to my children and I think, oh man, that applies just to me. Like, you know, if you just would listen to what I say now, if you just would follow what I'm talking about, you'll understand later that I'm going to help you out so much. Yeah. I, I've, 
I've got 54 years on this earth and I figured this out. And if you just do what I'm telling you, it'll be so much better. I know it sounds like a lot of crap now, a lot of things to go through, but if you'll just listen to me, I guarantee you it, you're, it'll pay off in spades years from now. And so same thing. And that's really hard to have a kid, you know, simple request for water. I mean, you can't give me water. How hard yeah. is that? It's just water. Yeah. How can yeah. water hurt me? So that's a heart wrenching, but also a really uh, illustrative story or illustrative, if however you want to say that, of of the timing of God. So I think that's a, a beautiful way to say it. And I, again, as, as many times as I've said something to my kids, I'm like, oh, that could just apply to me. I just, I just, yeah. If I'd have done the same thing. And so anyway, so timing of God is a great lesson to, to take away from the very end of, uh, of Exodus there. Well, do we have right. time to go on to chapter yeah. three or what do you Let, think? Let's jump in a little bit. We'll okay. see uh, how right. far we can get. But um and I think it's worth uh, noting that, so we're, we're back to this story of deliverance, right? God is now going to deliver Israel, but it starts with one person. And, and uh, that's going to happen, I mean, in every dispensation, right? We've talked about how it starts with Abraham. It started with Adam. Uh, it starts with Joseph Smith in some ways, right? But in a way, that's true for all of us all the time. If you want to build Zion, it, it's got to start with you, right? Uh, right. And so, but it's going to start with Moses. And, uh, and I guess in some ways it doesn't start because all of Israel is crying to God, right? But uh, the, 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 the wheels in motion start with Israel. I mean, with Moses, sorry. And um, so Moses is up on Mount Sinai, wherever that is. And uh, he sees this bush and it says that it's, it's uh, in verse two, the bush burned with fire and the bush was not consumed. Uh, I suspect, and, and uh, you get Joseph Smith, when he tries to des uh, describe the first vision, he kind of struggles. In some of his accounts, he talks about it being a bright light like the sun. And some of them, he says, it's like it was fire, like the trees were on fire, except for that right. they didn't burn up. They weren't consumed. Yeah, yeah. right. And, and so I suspect this is the same thing. He's seen a really bright light, so bright you would think this is a white hot burning fire, except for that the bush is actually just fine. Right? Yeah. Nothing's happening to the bush. So it's like a fire, but it's not, right? They didn't have stadium lights to compare it to or anything like that. So there are two options are fire and, and sun. And so we get the fire here, right? With a burning bush. I think this is a light filled bush. He, he can see a light emanating. Uh, and that's because he's, this is the presence of the Lord that he's going to come into, right? And, and it talks about it being an angel, but uh, in verse two, and uh, you get the Joe Smith translation that says it's the presence of the Lord. And, and as the story goes through, it's clear. I mean, this is the Lord, right? This is the Lord speaking. And there's a few other uh, places in the Bible where it talks about the angel of the Lord. We talked about that a little bit with Abraham. Yeah. Is, the, is it actually an angel or is it the presence of the Lord or is it the voice of the Lord? Angel sometimes seems to be like the emissary of the Lord or the presence. And in this, in this case, presence of the Lord is how Joe Smith translates. And I think that's accurate. This is... This is the Lord speaking. This isn't an angel speaking for him. It's the Lord himself speaking. Yeah, yeah, and it becomes pretty clear as time goes on. Uh, so you get uh, verse 5, put off thy shoes from off thy feet, for the place whereon thou standest is holy ground. Just this idea that because God is there, this has become a temple. Um, and, Perfect. and you don't yes. bring the dirt of the world in with you. Uh, and there's some great symbolism behind that, right? Don't bring the right. world with you into God's presence. Leave it behind uh, and do these things that will show respect for God. Right. Then note verse six, how he will point out the covenant relationship. Moreover, he said, I am the God of thy father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. That when you say that, what you're saying is, I'm the God that established a covenant with Israel. Uh, that's what it's intended to invoke when you mention Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. 
And uh, Moses did his face for he was afraid to look upon God, right? Uh, you've got this whole notion that um, God is so much more glorious than we are. Uh, it, it, it's, you can't look upon him without his transfiguring you or, or you'll be destroyed. And, and what, but way back when we did Moses chapter one, at the beginning of this podcast, we talked about how maybe Moses one and, and this experience are two different versions of the same experience. I don't know, but, uh, but that's one of the verses that kind of makes me think that, uh, it, it might be the same because in Moses chapter one, it talks about how Moses had to be changed to, in order to withstand God's presence. Right. Right. And transfigured or however you want to phrase that. Yeah. Now, verse seven has another really interesting element in it. The Lord said, I have sh surely seen the affliction of my people. I believe I, I, I've, I've looked at this before and I may be misremembering, but I, I'm pretty sure I'm right that this is the first time God uses that phrase, my people uh, in the scriptures. I think he's probably used it before, but this is the first time we get it in the Old Testament, this phrase, my people, but it's a phrase that is covenant laden. Because in the covenant, the promise is that God will be our God and we will be his people. Mm -hmm. I, my suspicion is we don't get it before because every time we have the covenant being expressed, it's between God and an individual. So, you know, he might be saying, I'm your God, Abraham, and you're my guy. Right. Um, and, right. and so on. But, um, but here he's saying, my people. And that's a phrase that will be applied to uh, from here on out to people who hold this covenant with God. So he's again invoking the covenant. And he says, he's heard their cry and he knows their sorrows. Verse eight, and I'm come down to deliver them. So we get that theme again, right? To deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land unto a good land and a large into a land flowing with milk and honey. Um, so this is that promise. I'll bring you into the promised land. The one that your fathers used to be in, I'm taking you back. We're, we're in the covenant keeping business again. Let's, let's move this along. Uh, and so it's, it's beautiful stuff. Um, and sometimes people ask about that phrase, uh, land flowing with milk and honey. Maybe that's worth investigating just a, a little bit for a second. Okay, um, yeah. So if, if you think about it, uh, milk comes typically from cows or goats, right? And for the Israelites, mm -hmm. probably more from goats than cows, but they had, they had both. Um, so if you say it's going to flow with milk, uh, what you're saying is it's good grazing land. This is a land that produces uh, vegetation naturally that they can graze on. All right. Honey comes from bees. I think we all know that. Um, so if you're going to have honey, it means that you've got lots of wild flowers, uh, you know, fruit and flowers that are just spontaneously producing so that there's plenty of uh, pollen for the bees to go uh, work with. Uh, and so what you're saying when you say it flows with milk and honey is this is a land that naturally produces. You don't have right. to cultivate it uh, for it to start producing stuff. Now, obviously, when you do cultivate it, it's going to produce even more, but you don't have to cultivate it. It's, and especially for a group that has been traditionally uh, pastoralist, they, they have their flocks. To hear flows with milk and honey, you're like, okay, that's the place for us, right? This is a fantastic place. Now, later on in Isaiah, for example, milk and honey is not quite as ideal because it, again, still has this imagery of, it's an uncultivated land. Well, they've been cultivating it. So if it's gone back to a land of milk and honey, then that means, okay, all the planting and the farming we've been doing, that's not working anymore. We've gone back to the wild state. Still capable of sustaining life, but it's not quite as positive in Isaiah's day as it is in, in this day. Um, but it's a, a great and fantastic image for the Israelites. You know, I think that's, that's great. And, and I had an, a, a vision in my head of Israel being a deserty area, very deserty. You know, I grew up in the desert yeah. here and I lived in Utah and I thought, you know, it's desert and it's brown and whatever. 
And until I got to Tel Aviv and got off the plane and went to Joppa and then drove over to Jerusalem, I'm like, this isn't desert. This is California. This is San Diego is what yeah. it feels like to me. It's really uh, a really a nice blessed place, which is interesting, though, because just on the backside of the Mount of Olives, just over the hill from the Jerusalem Center, mm-hmm. you can stand on that hill and look, and then it goes down into that kind of bare land. You can see yeah. it almost, you can see out to the Dead Sea. Yep. And that is very deserty and just yeah. kind of like, but right there where Jerusalem is, Jerusalem and north up to Galilee is, is very uh, green and temperate and has lots of water. And it's, yeah. you know, it, the climate place. is such that a rain shadow was created. Um, so uh, the place that maybe a lot of our listeners will be familiar with that they can identify with the most, Washington, the state of Washington has a huge rain shadow issue. Right. Uh-huh. So you get that western part that's coming off the sea and uh, and the moisture comes and it hits mountains and it just dumps like crazy. But right. when you get on the other side of the mountains all uh, and the, the kind of pressure falls out as the tr- clouds travel over the mountain and the pressure falls out. Now there's nothing to pull that moisture out anymore. So it doesn't rain at all. So western Washington is really, really green and wet and eastern Washington is fairly deserty. Um, and that's exactly what happens in Israel as you get stuff coming off the Mediterranean Sea and it hits the mountains where Jerusalem is and so on. Uh, you get this dumping of water and then you get this rain shadow on the other side. Yeah, it's 100%. And, and I served my mission in western Washington. So I love that area. And I, when I went back and visited one time, I came from the Yakima side, which is oh, yeah. the desert that's side. The- and you, you looked at the map for a couple minutes and you're in kind of like the plains, looks like the plains of Idaho, just open fields and stuff like that not a lot of trees you looked out the map for a second then you look back up and suddenly there's lakes and mountains and trees everywhere it's like it's yeah. that fast when you go over that little divide over there it's that yeah. fast where you and that's kind of how and it you is get into mount rainier right and it's just, right just and then beautiful you get, and wet yeah, and fourteen thousand foot mountains yeah. you know so it, it's like that in jerusalem maybe not quite as the reason why i call it more like um california is because washington's a little bit is colder yeah. um yeah you're right and it, it is colder but down when you get over that Mount of Olives, that rain shadow you're talking about, it's right at the top of Mount of Olives. Yeah, it's on on the south side of that. It gets quite deserty, and of course you yeah, go down south, to, south and the east side. South and east, yeah, right. Yeah, when you go down there, you're at the Dead Sea, which is below sea level, and that's yeah. very deserty. But right there, it's a very short period of time, and then from there north all the way to Mount yeah. Hebron and all that stuff, it's very green and lush. And so, yeah. I, I, we could geek out about that just having been there, but, but the, what you're getting at is a, is a great point that what he's going to bring him to is a nice, very fertile, lush place and, and, um, and a very beautiful place to live and will produce crops and everything you're saying, milk and honey. So yeah, yeah it's a very fertile place. Okay. Yeah. So this is, this is setting it up for uh, Moses. I mean, what we've done so far is talked about deliverance and the covenant. Um, mm-hmm. And so that's probably a good spot to stop. And maybe I'll just do a little short cast to talk, kind yeah. of cover a couple of things in, in chapter three and four. But, uh, but this sets the stage very well, I, I think, to say, okay, so often we just focus on uh, what I can do the short cast on. But God, Moses sees God and learns his name, and he's told he's going to go deliver Israel. But I think that we shouldn't short shrift this first part where it, the theme of deliverance and covenant is set up so well because. In, right. in a lot of ways, it guides everything else that happens after this. Right. And I'll look forward to your shortcast because I know you're going to get to the name of God yeah. and how that how important that name, I am that I am, 
transfers all the way to the New Testament, and yeah. and Jesus uses this exact phrase to identify himself. Yeah, yeah. So well, yeah, probably that's going to be important. Depends on linguistically how it works. So, but yeah, yeah. Pro- True, I, but I, it, I think I think he does. I think there's no doubt he does. But he, he uh, well, even if he's not using the exact phrase, he's clearly alluding, he's clearly to identifying it. with this yeah. with this area. This is absolutely what the, the Jews recognize what he's. He's calling himself after the name of God. So that's Absolutely. a very important part. I will look forward to that and be excited about that. But uh, I know we're up again. We, we've had very short, uh, not short, but yeah, I time keep frames that are specific. I have to go. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I know. You got to go over to Egypt. Man, uh, well, how rough. jealous am I right now? <laughs> okay. Well, hey, thanks for joining us on the Scriptures Are Real podcast. And uh, we've enjoyed having you along. I hope that this is meaningful to you in some way. And if you have a way to comment, whether it's in the comments here or if you want to drop a a message to us and tell us that uh, what you like, don't like, or what we can focus on, how we can be of help to make these scriptures uh, become real to you. Let us know. We're always open for, uh, for different ideas. And by the way, if they wanted to send us an email, uh, Carrie, where would they send an email to? Oh, that's a great question. Uh, let's try. Um, let's try zero one at byu.edu. Zero one. Yeah. So the number is zero zero one at byu.edu. Wow. That sounds like a procedure. We'll try it. We'll see if that one works or not. <laughs> uh, well, if not, maybe. Well, anyway, you can also look up a, just Carrie's website, um, outofthedust.org. Yeah. It's another place to get a hold of us there. We'll try to, we're, we're just putting these things together as we go along. Um, so we'll get better and better at, at, as, we, as we grow. But uh, we're li- we'd like to hear back from you. If we can, if we can help you, if, we can, if you can tell us something, uh, send us a tip, send us a hint, uh, tell us what you like. And we'll try to do more of that and and be more helpful. All right. Thank you. Sounds good. Hey, we'll talk to you soon. Have fun in Egypt. All right. Bye. All right. Bye-bye.